Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dudley Boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review AEW Dynamite, Rampage, WWE Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, premium live events, <laughs> pay-per-views, roundtable discussions, wrestling interviews, and we host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture hamlet lots to get into as always give us a quick summary of your thoughts on dynamite i think genuinely our thoughts are going to be identical more or less on this show i'm more and more concerned that show of two halves is becoming the the norm rather than like a rule proven exception my overview when we do this overview which always goes longer than i mean it to so i apologize for waffling my overview on these dynamites is all too linked to my like live experience of watching it and the feelings as I was having. I start so high on these dynamites. They've shown you a card you want to look at almost every week. Can you remember the dynamites? Not next away week. You've seen it. It's not looking great, is it? But like, <laughs> uh, they've got some time. But like, almost always, there's uh, a card that you can't wait to see because of more than one thing as well. It's not just I'm hanging on for the thing I like. There's loads. They do these posters now. That seems designed to be like, look at what we do every week. See it, you're hyped. The opening match always rules. And then by and large, there's a promo or a second match that's almost as good. So you're just on a high, on a high, on a high. And all your head's going, it's just the best episodes of wrestling television ever. And then the drop is so steep that you go, oh, it just must be because the first stuff was so great. But this is every week now. So it's time to acknowledge it as maybe a booking foible or a problem that Tony Khan can't quite seem to fix or address or whatever it is. It's too consistent now. It's too consistent an issue and the drag is becoming the takeaway as well. It's always ending on a low, or it's ending on a lull. And by the time two hours is up, as an experience, you've kind of forgotten what it was that got you so high about the first 45. And I don't like that. 
It's very much a move to TBS, capitalise on the lead-in strategy. Mm. I don't know why it would be a strategy to not simply do a great two-hour show, <laughs> but, you know, it's quite hard to do. Look, I'll be maybe a little bit fairer, because I think virtually every single week following Revolution, which previously the post-pay-per-view period was a bit of a dull transitional low, I think they've absolutely smashed it um, after this particular pay-per-view. But the last two or three weeks, yeah, I completely agree Um People were way high on the one that was headlined by Joe and Suzuki, so maybe that's the aberration. But this has happened far too often mm. now, where it is, I agree completely, I think. But yeah, look, we're going to be a little bit lower on the things that we didn't like, but we are going to be skyscraper high. Oh, yeah. Higher than the crowd, even, yeah. on the things that we did. Like, just before we get into the granular yeah. details of the show, there's probably a, a way from structure and everything else. Again, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself from stuff I said on recent AEW pods, but there's possibly something simpler to it. I don't think... I think some of the programs that they're currently arranging are awesome. Some of the pairings have been great. Some of the stuff that they've clearly been teasing for the pay-per-view, awesome. Some of them haven't been so great. No. And there's evidence of that here. I don't think some of the programs recently, some of the, the in-between pay-per-view stuff they've set up, has been that effective. We saw last week, uh, me and you haven't really spoken about it, which is telling in itself because we tend to cover this stuff even when we're not in front of microphones. Like, Darby Allen Andrade was a middling payoff to a middling feud that filled with mostly middling matches and middling pairings. I think, for the first time in a long time, despite these, as you say, like, largely quite, like, excellent uh, broadcasts, excellent moments on these broadcasts, there's been one too many programs that just haven't been of that upper tier. Yeah. Stuff that you're really going to remember or care about when you're six months from now. Oh, who was so-and-so feuding with last time? I just don't... I think there's been a few of them in a row, and typically... There's one thing that isn't maybe hitting, and everything else is. And I just don't think maybe that hit rate of pairings and feuds has been that that hot lately. No, I completely agree. But this goddamn first match was great. Yeah. Better than the crowd um, <laughs> gave it credit for being. Look, they were up for the most important moments. And I think that there was a kind of weird collective agreement within the crowd of, come on, this is class, we're not making enough noise. Mm. But maybe because of the, the unique dynamic of the match, they didn't know what noises to make or who to get behind. But every now and then there was like, this is great. Let's stop being silent. FTR, 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 whatever. I mean, lads, lasses, just say, let's go Wheeler, let's go Dash. Yeah. No, let's go Wheeler, let's go Dax. For mm -hmm. like 60 minutes. Pretty easy chant. <laughs> um, if the next time this happens, and hopefully we'll get it again, um, that's a tip for you right there. Look, it's the match we kind of expected, but like I would say a softer, nicer version of it, and a more organic, natural match um, as a result. So they pattern it to a degree um, after um, the classic if you've never seen it somehow, go and watch it right now after this podcast. Brett versus Old Match at WrestleMania 10. Identical mat exchanges, but it never feels like stupid cosplay. And it's a wonderful bit of body language because there's a wry grin shared between them. Um, as they do that spot, there's another callback to the Brett versus uh, Perfect King of the Ring 93, which do you think it's better than the SummerSlam? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. me too. We've mm. got the same Brett takes. Oh, I think like so. Like the Brett Bulldog season's beatings match is better than the yeah. SummerSlam 92. King of the Ring 93 is better than SummerSlam 91. There's... On King of the Ring 93, there was uh, Razor and Bam Bam stuff in this as well. And like on, like the perfect, as you say, the perfect arm drags and stuff like that. The Brett match is better at King of the Ring 1993 because he's already working hurt. So he's adjusting what, like, whereas Perfect's back's knackered and Brett targets it at some, some 91, he's selling the Razor injuries. So he has to adjust himself. And how they played that into this of them being like, we've kind of gotten to each other now. So we've got to adjust ourselves. Like, I. I love all of this. I love this. Was so caramel smooth. This like, was just, uh, just oh, the, as you say, the right smile off the Owen and Brett Bollockin spot, which is one of our favourites from the yeah. Like lush. Yeah, like, I wanted to hug them both and then say, right now, carry back on. Yeah. can I go back to watching it now, please? Like, Absolutely. Just a, a quick incidental Brett uh, point. 
you probably do this as well. Just sometimes, just a little bit of Brett match before you go to bed. Yeah. And I watched last night. Go on. And I couldn't believe how good it was because I don't think I've ever seen it. So I'm going through like a bit of a completest Brett run mm. at the moment between Twin Peaks watching because I like to know just how good he was when he's working with like useless wrestlers. Brett yeah. versus uh, Papa Shango from Saturday Night's Main Oh, Event. get in there. Yeah. I couldn't believe that this guy became the godfather, one of the worst in-ring wrestlers I've ever seen, because yeah. he looks like a serviceable monster yes. with a presence who looks dangerous, and that's because Brett's making him look dangerous. And I rewind one spot where he's, like, bumping under a, a Shango lariat, and you rewind it back. Did that just look terrible, but Brett made it look great? Rewind. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it like one of the worst clotheslines you've ever seen, but Brett just t- he just takes it like it's a shotgun blast. He, um, he played, like, like Tom McGee-esque power game, selling for, for Papa Shango, especially because in that one, like over that summer, Shango had worked with the Ultimate Warrior and seen all the curse stuff when he was in all the regalia. It was like, wow, Papa Shango is this like weird freakish character. And then when he took the gear off and he was wrestling Warrior, and Warrior was the same height or the same size. Little Warrior, no, actually. Like, eh. Little Warrior? Yeah, a little Warrior from not, Summer 92. It's like, oh, good job you got the curses because you can't do it out else. <laughs> yeah. Like, but like Brett wasn't really having much to do with the curses. He had to have a wrestling match with a big, strong guy. And it was like, I'm sure the promo at the time was along the lines of like, yeah, like Papa Shango may say all this black magic stuff, but like, he's a great wrestler. And I'm going to be a better wrestler because I'm a fighting champion. He's like, he's not a great wrestler, but thanks for telling me. Now, <laughs> yeah. now I'll believe it for 12 minutes. I love Absolutely. that. Brett's gear in that. Bit of a trivia note for fact fans. Knee pads are weird. The knee pads are weird, but go back and have a look at the black and pink detailing. It was patterned. Well, no, the second, his really lovely second Hasbro figure was patterned on that gear. I don't remember him wearing it much after that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like the super nice, yes. second, the more detailed Brett. Yes. Like it was patterned on that lovely attire. Ah. Very nice, that. Hey, I'll see. Should we just like stop that bread for the next hour? <laughs> Sammy, Sammy and Scorpio Sky was a bit awkward, really, obviously. Anyway, to Brett in 1994. Uh, we got to King of the Ring with Diesel now. One day. One day we'll do. This match with Fatu's great, but he's got a weird <laughs> thing on his nose. And it's really, really distracting. <laughs> it's got to scratch, scratch off the pork scratching and then get to the Fatu clothesline cell. It's like, what's wrong with his nose? And I'm thinking, I've never seen that again. So obviously it healed, but how when he's bumping on concrete rings every night? And get like <laughs> punched in the face. What's going on there? What's going? What's going? What's, what's, has he been? It's in. It's like on a live raw in the Manhattan Center. Has he been yeah. clipped in a bar? Yeah, <laughs> was, was he out being braid? Like was he having a drink when he was still got on with Shawn Michaels the boy toy? Perhaps Maybe. they were still mates at the time. Neither of yeah. them liked Hogan coming back and stealing the thunder, did they? What's going on there? Let's talk about in nineteen ninety four. When remember when he added a, a necklace to the sunglasses routine? What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Brett's. He says though, and he shouldn't say though. He wears certain things that he shouldn't wear, but mostly he's the best. Yeah. And mostly this was the best. Um, so they do tribute his spots, but the rise smile so it doesn't ever resonate as uh, cosplay. Some of the work on the mat here, oh. so majestically fantastic. I love a counter. Everyone loves a counter. It the, I tweeted this, but the mega fans will forgive me until I bury the show later on, and some of them might not. <laughs> My God, they threaten to do a movement, mm. and they intuitively telekinetically know I know what you're going to do the second the nanosecond as you are just about to do it reversal 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 this is liquid as you said caramel smooth it's beautiful the tone of the match shifts somewhat when uh, there's a spot in the corner where Dax accidentally pokes um, Cash in the eye a shove happens and then it's just simply a more spirited throw based um, match with suplexes instead of holds, but it's all in the same competitive, friendly exhibition spirit. And then following the perfect, there's loads of great stuff in here, but before the, the final phase of the match, which is where Cash tweaks his knee following the perfect uh, Brett King of the Ring 93 spot, following which um, Dax is going to 
take advantage with a sharpshooter and he just can't bring himself to do it. It's the best kind of melodrama because yeah. this friendship is like, we know how powerful it is. It's not just two wrestlers doing it. Um, and he wins the wrestling hold as he should. But before that um, finish, there's this incredible, incredible spot where the first unsuccessful Liger bomb attempt is uh, reversed mm. with like a sort of a victory roll. Yeah. And it's just the nicest looking thing you've ever goddamn seen. Some of this match, and, and, I wish and that's like the best possible false finish because they've told us to watch this match for your homework, and you're thinking, here it comes, here yeah. it comes. Like, so they know what they're, they're playing with. Like, it's not even like high expectations of the audience. It's like they've, they've outright said, we're going to do that one, so you need to watch for this. Yeah. It could be a finish. And it's, it's not even a, a two-count or near-fall they've needed to work towards in the match. It's off the back of the tribute stuff they're doing. And it's the best thing about playing tribute in this context because it's a Dax Harwood move that Bret Hart never used to do, mm. but it's a Bret Hart counter to it. Yeah. It's just absolutely gorgeous. So it finishes with um, Cash tweaking his knee, Dax Harwood motioning to apply the sharpshooter, can't bring himself to do it. This hesitation, which again is perfectly perfect in this context, allows Cash to roll him up. Yeah, the weight has shifted. Dax gets the win. The crowd didn't know how to react at points, but as I said, they seem to collectively realize this and then make noise um, because to show their appreciation. If a little bit more was addressed on Dynamite to let fans in on the story beats and all the rest of it, I think this could have been even better than it was, but it was still just a beautiful pleasure to watch. Yeah, the match was excellently executed in a way that the build wasn't. Yeah. Got Excalibur going full, like, Vic Joseph, it's Dax versus Cash anyway, moving off the rampage. Blah, blah, blah. So you're not really permitted to let even the announcement breathe, let alone any of the build, which you have to go to Road 2 for, um, which is great, but it's the age old. And like when Matt Jackson pied it off that time, I've never forgotten, everybody went Dynamite. He kind of trivialized a load of times when he should put stuff on Dynamite. And there was definitely more of that needed, I think, for this audience. We're always hesitant to blame fans, and this episode's going to be a tricky one for that. But yeah. certainly, you're you, like... You don't want to treat your fans, as you say, like goldfish, but similarly, it is okay to help people along sometimes with things they might not be aware of. A story beats that are going to inform the body of a match, the, in this case, the beautiful body of a match. The wrestling drew people in, but I dare say it would have drawn them in even more, and then the atmosphere would have, would have elevated it from what was already maybe like four and a half stars to five, or however you do your rankings. It would have felt that little yeah. bit bigger. The thing I loved was ultimately, on the preview yesterday, I was predicting a draw, if only for the idea that you, you know, have them protected as a team, if not you know, kind of having one going forward in the actual brackets of the tournament itself. But I really, really liked... Um, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I really, really liked uh, how by the end of it, when they were both back together, it solidified... I'm going to talk about Triple H for a second. Four out of ten wrestler, if you ask the greats to do this, but a nine out of ten booker in his moments. Um, Champer and Gargano fighting as a team. The whole point was they're a team first. It wasn't singles wrestlers yeah. that were now looking to get an opportunity, which is how Vince McMahon would see this. They're a tag team. Of course, they should know each other as well as they know themselves, which is, as you kind of alluded to, how that counter game was even trickier than a generic wrestler A counter and wrestler B. And I love that detail so much. All tag teams, when they fight each other, should do it like this. Yeah. Dax and Cash in paying a bit of a tribute to Brett and Owen, have created a template that other tag teams should pay tribute to them with in the future. And I hope, like, AW is the company for that because, I don't know, let's say a private party gets to fight each other once upon a time. Here's your template. Here's what you look at. Absolutely. Um, after the match, CM Punk did commentary. He makes Canon um, FTR hair and FTR bald. <laughs> That's Danhausen's. Oh, is that his? Is yes. That's so I'm, I think I'm coming around, you know. Very hair, very bald. Yeah, I think I might be coming around at Danhausen. I'll never give him the ass, boys. 
Yeah. Never give him ass, no. boys. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. That's like um, Chris Jericho, 2001 stuff, that. Yes, the stuff that doesn't land. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's way better in AEW than he ever was in WWE, in my opinion, but um, I will never post that on Twitter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, CM Punk, who has been on commentary, comes to the ring, grabs a microphone, and sells a pay-per-view in about, what, 60 seconds. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the self-belief, the composure... Like, the the aura of, you said it before we record, because as we say all the time, we're nerds and we talk about this most of the day, he's the uncrowned world heavyweight champion. Yes. That <laughs> it, it, it instills a sense of sadness within me, because I do love Hangman Page, but I would be, if I was putting Hangman Page over, 10 seconds before Hang, uh, CM Punk grabbed this microphone, I would legitimately maybe change my mind <laughs> 10 seconds after he put the microphone down and we went to the commercial break. Um, and he doesn't really say anything that isn't or wouldn't be generic in mm. in, in the, the hands of anybody else. He says he's going to keep riding until the wheels fall off. He asks the crowd a question, and of course they are so unanimous in their response. Um, can I still do this? You're goddamn right. Hell yes, I can still do this. Yes, you can. You're the absolute best. Um, and he says that you can't guarantee victory, which is interesting, mm-hmm. but he says win, lose, or draw, he will keep on fighting until the wheels fall off. He can't guarantee victory. Yeah. When a babyface says, I'm going to win, the babyface is going to win. He hasn't said this. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. When babyfaces say they can't guarantee it, when they guarantee it, they do it. Heels, on the other hand, mm-hmm. can say anything they like because they're heels. Yeah. What was your read on... How great this was. 50 reads on how great it was. I could go all day on how fantastic this promo was, but I will try desperately not to. Um, from the very beginning, so CM Punk is as excited at seeing the graphic as we all are because the likely is made formal and real, even without Hangman Page in the building. And that's just so cool because the whole point of this run has been like he has opened himself up to fans in a way he never truly could in his last one, and it's been with him. I loved, um, you know, you always mention Goldfish. I love that he... Just in case anybody still wasn't on the pickup, gave the Cliffs notes of his entire run. Yeah. Like, if you are just a, like, casual, I know, dirty word, but if you're a fan that has, for whatever reason, optically picked up that every single match has been part of a CM Punk journey, of a CM Punk story, he has just laid it all out there now. It's all been part of the story. It wasn't just a series of isolated views and isolated matches. It's all existed from the first word out of his mouth, back at the first dance, right now, about winning the AW World title. And just explain that for you. Laid that all out brilliantly. The lack of a promise showed in... Kayfabe, a respect to his opponent, Hangman Page, as a babyface, but as you say, potentially belied a heel undercurrent or a really earnest lack of confidence in himself that he's trying to push forward by being such a carnival barker, you know? Like, he's, yeah. he's taking the moment where he knows Hangman... That's out there, that Hangman Page in the building. If there was every night to try and make yourself look confident because you're not... Yeah. So I love that little wrinkle that this this was the night to cut this type of promo. CM Punk, as he's shown against MJF, and as he's shown prior to AEW, has the ability to be a very, very awful human being yes. and knows how to get under people's skin and do all the worst kind of things. So that in itself could be a, a double bluff. And I wanted to raise that. Um, he's been an awesome layer of Easter eggs, CM Punk, since arriving in AEW. And this was the night he like put aside all the in-ring successes he's had so far and it was and it was like I believed all of it I believe and adore this man and yet the tone of this was thank you you the people I am here because of all of you I'm here for all of you I couldn't do any of this without any of you and I want to be the AW world champion for all you people and his t-shirt was in its clobbering time one the thing saying 
sick of it all. Ah. So if and when that, like, the reality of this reveals itself, should he lose to Hangman Page, that might be nice to go back and revisit this, saying, like, I've worked my way up in the rankings. I cannot really be asked being for you. I've done this by being the best. I'm for me again. I'm yeah. not for you. Like, uh, MJF found something in me that I didn't like at first, and now... I actually quite like it, and I want to be number one again, and I want to do it for me. And it might come to nothing. That's the beauty of this. Like, I'm going to try and get an article out on this at some point, talking about what this match has done that no other match in AEW history, for me, AEW title match has done so far, which is truly, earnestly feel wholly unpredictable. Yes. This just cannot be called, and I cannot wait for the weeks more to come where they do yet more things where you cannot call it. I called my own crown champion, but it was an easy week to do that because... The actual champion isn't here to fight his own corner. It's a what if, what if, what if Hangman Page had fought back with a promo just as good. You sense that is coming. He will surely now know and hear and see just how well this promo will have been responded to, how people are already like calling time on his title run before the match has even taken place. Yeah. I cannot wait for this to develop and only become more unpredictable. So many layers to this. And yet, on the surface, it's a babyface pro wrestling match. We've not even scratched the surface, and yet the exterior is utterly captivating. Yeah. I adore this program they already. Could, they could do it next week. Yeah, they could do it next week. They've done the hard work. Um, it's proper long-term storytelling, because it's not just two guys with a microphone in their hands across the ring. Like The stories continue um, and overlap across each arc to arrive at moments like this, and that should never, ever be discounted. Just on your point there, we could go back and listen to our 2028 AEW Review podcast and probably get loads of stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Like, they want you to look into this. Yeah. And they want you to look for every single detail and hang on every single word. And maybe you misinterpret it at times, but that's what this company does. And it's its best feature. Mm-hmm. I don't mind looking like a tit and getting things wrong. Yeah. It's the fact that you are thinking about it constantly. You are investing constantly. Yeah. Such to a throw feature. a dig about Eddie Kingston. Like, them two never letting that lie. Yeah. Speaks to how nasty their first fight was and how nasty the next one will be and stuff like... Because one, and I've said this to, on other podcasts before, I think I mentioned it when it came to Wardlow and CM Punk, like, the coolest thing in wrestling is actually when, like, the men have been through wars and go, all right, you. Yeah. And one of these days, like, Punk and Kingston will yeah. come and that is going to, like, bring the goosebumps on your goosebumps. Yeah, that they, awesome. They have found some togetherness out of all of this. Absolutely. Um, cut to backstage. They do an actual decent job, which, um, again, they... They don't do show long angles because it's fixtures. It's meant to be an emulation of a sports league. So they don't do like, oh, someone got trapped somewhere in a cage. <laughs> find out they got trapped in a cage. It's a lot of complete nonsense and bollocks. But they don't do enough sometimes to actually build a main event attraction as a main event attraction. They did it tonight with various interviews. Um, it's pretty generic stuff, but, you know, it serves a purpose. And then we get uh, the Blackpool Combat Club joined by William Regal on commentary, who is my new favorite guy. Why did I never feel things for William Regal in NXT, even <laughs> at its absolute peak? Yeah. I think it's because he was like generic and sort of authoritative and impartial as his role. And there was a, a magic to that. But I feel things from an AEW. Maybe it's because of the letters of the promotion. Who knows? <laughs> but he's just like, he says certain things. He's more like the WCW early fed Regal than this like sort of elder statesman character. Mm. Off my nut with excitement. He feels it for Dynamite, doesn't he? Yeah. He can't believe just how much fun he's having. Yeah, absolutely. It's early uh, AEW Tony Schiavone energy you're getting out yes, of Yes, that's a great point. Absolutely, because he's just in love with it. And that's like, that's infectious. Yeah, like, <laughs> so they're actually doing technical bloody wrestling here. It's great. Uh, he's I'm off my nut with excitement. I love that like, he did it in the promo that we once did on a secret banter. I don't care if it's daylight 
Moonlight or Fanny by the Gaslight <laughs> when he's through with him. Love William Regal. He's great on commentary here. And this is yet another fun, like, no right being as good, these Blackpool mm. Combat Club trios matches because they are basically excuses to get ratings, quarter-hour ratings strolls on the show. An excuse to just show a little glimpse of what more Wheeler Yuta could do every single week. Brian Danielson was incredible in this match. They are working elongated squashes about, just about, against dogs that are going to get beat mm-hmm. convincingly every time, and yet they're still so much fun. Um, QT Marshall is incredible at bumping. Danielson's um, stuff against Aaron Solo just looked great. Wheeler Yuta... Uh, the story of the match basically is that Wheeler Yuta kind of has another test because he's been sort of like delineated the, the combinations. He gets Comrado mm. and he struggles against him at first and then he out wrestles him and then he chokes him. And at the finish, this is so great. I can't wait to watch all of this in sequence. I hope one day they do actual network adjacent documentaries like The Rise of Austin or whatever they do. Yeah. So I can watch all of this chronologically unfold because last week they have a trios match. And then they all apply like the elbows and the chokes at the same time. And that's meant to convey to the audience Yuta is quite literally doing the same things as his mentors. He's getting on their level. This time, he applies the choke to Komoroto and the elbows. And then Mox and Danielson say, that's a good idea. Let's do that to the other two dogs. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like they're kind of catching up to Yuta at this point. The storytelling is absolutely brilliant. William Regal's the best. I think the Blackpool Combat Club in any other year that didn't have MGF versus CM Punk in it would be the best thing this promotion's done. Yeah, I, I, again, sort of kind of reserving like some of the highest praise for this. It's interesting, uh, I guess like a bit of a teaser or a spoiler for later on, there are absolutely ways to do, hmm, can this group of guys bring it together against people that they're obviously far better than? Yes, they can, and here's how we're going to show that, because they do a much inferior job of doing this later on in the show. So the Blackpool Combat Club are doing this version of this story so dead yeah. right, as you say. Like, there was so many little... Moments for you. Loads of this has been that, which is what's amazing in and of itself. They book Brian and Moxley for Revolution, and we're all going, "Oh man, I was kind of right in the idea of the team." And then you get the team, and then it turns out the team was a Trojan horse to get Wheelie Uter over. What an unbelievable uh, no. like chain of events that is to get us to the point where you know the like the spooky storytellers are the ones that are like being teed up for the trios title. But these are the, this is the real quiz. Yeah. This is absolutely the real quiz, and we all know it. You'd have been the one to come out with Regal. Like Regal arrives with. Him as if he's like, it's like he's his new. He's excited for him. Like, he's seen this guy I got. He's class, isn't he? So, like, every aspect of this promotion. I thought um, the factory, sometimes the, and I'm critical of this all the time, the um, matchmaking being stars versus nobodies can sometimes be a little too um, boring. Yeah, that's, that is the word. Yeah, a little bit too boring. I thought the factory were pretty great here. Yeah. Comorato. For all, he's got this size, and it, he always gets, unfortunately, he always gets cut down to size, and that's the appeal of his, like, squash losses. But for all, he's got this size. I thought he was excellent as Yuta's foil here. Yeah. And, like, credit to Bailey's ex-boyfriend, an awesome slug suffering at the hands of uh, Brian Dennison. And, yeah, I got, I got a lot out of this, way more than I did with the other equivalent later on in the show. And it's a bit like the Wardlow thing, and a bit like CM Punk's words. Like, if it's good, ride it until the wheels fall off. And the Blackpool Combat Club doing this stuff is wheels fall off stuff. I want more and more and more of this until they find a reason to be pissed off with some people in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm waiting. Like These trios matches are happening with more and more frequency. I'm yeah. waiting for one team because the only plot hole is at the very start of um, Mox and Danielson coming together on screen, they said we should win all the championships where the best. 
we should mentor people to win the other championships mm-hmm. because we can make the best wrestlers. I just want one of these units to eventually say we need recognition for how we're the best or prove we're the best, get the trios titles. I'm, uh, I'm calling my shot now. Uh, tournament gets announced at Forbidden Door using Japanese stables, oh. New Japan stables, like in in trio formats for uh, to get basically a bracket of eight or something. Yeah, because that, that is they can do eight. They're, they're probably w. about there, aren't they? To be Blackpool fair. Combat Club, yeah, the Elite, Undisputed Era, yeah. House of Black, Death Triangle, uh, Derivations of the Dark Order, Factory. Best Friends, Best Factory. Um, you could have like. Moriarty joining the Brock Anderson, um, Lee Johnson deal. Jericho Appreciation Society. Kingston, Santana and Ortiz. Yeah, he's there. Mm-hmm. One thing I would love, right, because there's always someone who can just take a fall. The AEW tournament so far, I think, some of them have been great, but the brackets are a little bit too, yeah, yeah, he's winning, he's winning, he's winning. Yeah. I hope it goes as all-star as possible when this trios thing happens because there's always someone you can just beat. Mm-hmm. Like, Ortiz, you can beat him. Yep. Matt Jackson. I'm not going to think of him as a loser the next time he works in a tag team match for losing a semi-final. For Brian example. Danielson. Yeah, you can beat Brian Danielson. You know, like One note as well, sorry, before we move on. What I loved and what I continue to love about AEW presenting talent is, right, they're not finished article. That's fine because you want a, a roster with loads of depth and tears because people, as we just said, need to get beat to make it all clean and decisive and not carny DQ bollocks. The best thing about this is if Wheeler Yuta doesn't do something great, and he didn't. There was one drop kick that mm. kind of missed. Regal can, in character, say, not again, Sunshine. We're going to have to tighten that up. The next week yeah. that you spend in the Blackpool Combat Club dojo, drop kick after drop kick after drop kick. Like gear girls. <laughs> like Daniel <laughs> yeah. just ripping oh, like God. his face off. Snapping off. Yes. <laughs> yes, and show me that as well. Yeah. So I just love that little element. Like, And at the same token, if Danielson messed something up, he can say very uncharacteristic. The best wrestler of all goddamn time. Just the Utah thing in particular, though, it just works so perfectly because you can just say, right, he's still a rookie in our eyes compared to us. You can explain everything. It's Moxley's emotion, isn't it? Yeah. It's one day going to be the better of him. He's the most emotional wrestler of all of them. Yeah, he's going to be like, come on, keep serious, you know. Like, it's just really good. (laughs) This company's awesome. This company's awesome, and it's going to suck, quite frankly. But not yet. Uh, We get a backstage interview. Britt Baker... Uh, Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm. It's essentially one of these sort of setups um, to hype the tournament in kayfabe. And then Ruby Soho walks in, presumably to set up a tag between Storm and Soho versus Hayter and Baker. Lots that can do with that. So let's bloody see it instead of um, some not great matches. Because there's stars in here, there's workers in here. So I'd really like to see that sooner rather than later. We get another backstage interview and this legitimately might be my favorite part of the show and I'm not being hyperbolic. It's Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage are <laughs> backstage. Um, and a lovely little detail. Uh, Luchasaurus is wearing his title. Mm. Jungle Boy, and I didn't notice this until Christian Cage pointed it out. He's uh, holding his just below his waist. Um, and Jungle Boy says, look, I don't really offer excuses, but I just think I got a little bit too caught up in trying to be a better, complete wrestler um, against Kyle O'Reilly, and Kyle O'Reilly and not playing to my strengths. Look, I don't want to sound like a sore loser. Christian Cage goes, yeah, yeah you, don't sound like a, you don't sound like a sore loser, Jungle Boy. You sound like an absolute loser. <laughs> and I just absolutely piss myself. He bollocks him. He says, wear that title. You've earned it. Put it where it belongs. And um, he says, you know, you're all, you're all a loser. But you'll bounce back, at which point, <laughs> um, and I can't wait for this, Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs sidle up um, and accept the challenge as a number five ranked team. This is a lovely little key detail, one of the few actual details 
um, this Jurassic Express title ring where Christian Cage is like, we want the best. Mm-hmm. We want the best. We want a top five ranked team. And uh, Starks and Hobbs are getting mailed. <laughs> like, I really yeah. like just Jurassic Express. This run, it's like, it's what you could have instead. Mm. That's always the... Th- I don't hate it. I don't love it. I generally think they've done well to make noise at the end of these Rampage main events. But at the same time, there's so much talent in this company that if you don't have a killer title run, I can always think, give it to them. Yeah. Give it to them. Well, in you know, if you think about the, the trios we've just listed off, most of them can be divvied up into tag teams. And a lot of those tag teams would kind of scan more as champions than Jurassic Express do, which is less than ideal. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a minor equivalent of what we've talked about with Punk and Hangman Page. It sort of feels like other people are uncrowned champions. And as soon as Starks and Hobbs walked into shot, you felt that for them. Yeah. And that keeps happening with yeah. Jurassic Express, unfortunately. I don't know if the magic of a pay-per-view match with them at this point, say they keep the belts right to it, double or nothing. I feel like the magic of that match won't be the quality of it, the feud that's built to it, it'll be Will Christian turn. Yeah. And you're not... That's, that's not ideal, is it? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, like, I would put the belt... It just felt cool when, like, Starks and Hobbs, who have been really putting the grafting on, like, they've kind of made Rampage their own thing. Like, Lee and Swerve was just such a treat of a match. Yeah. I want that again. And I even felt like Swerve and Lee. I was like, boom, instant tag team. I get this act. Like, yeah. put the belt on them, even. There's a few people that feel like they could jump the queue right now. Nah, I know. I agree. I think the one thing that they've done wrong, and I'm, there's lots of micro problems with Dynamite. <laughs> As opposed to the lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of great things on it, but for essential speed bumps everywhere. In this yeah, episode, isn't it? like, it's <laughs> absolutely bizarre. But like, I do think on a macro level, they haven't really done champions right for several months mm, at this yeah. point, particularly across the tag and TNT. Not really, very good storytelling. No, it, it feels it's, it's like the rankings becomes too easy to work with. And yeah, they manipulate the rankings. The real most interesting stuff is outside of the title picture. The title is the old Triple H quote. We're putting him over twice in this goddamn <laughs> podcast. He said, and it's an old maxim, but he's very, very keen on it. Uh, the guy makes the belt, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a temptation on Tony Khan's part to try and make it the other way around. So if you give them the belt, yeah. they're not as over, but they're the champions, so that works. And at this point, it kind of doesn't. But my God, the next thing, like we, I love the show for so long until it wasn't very good. Um, Wardlow defeats Lance Archer. This match is so much fun. And the ceremony is so great yet again. It's a bit of a suboptimal moment, right? When MGF's cutting his promo with the popcorn, mm. he's in the he's in his luxury box, and he says something to the effect of, "What do women from Philadelphia use as birth control?" And it's like a young girl, <laughs> and it's like it, it's not his fault, <laughs> but it's like, oh, <laughs> don't say oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so like the visual is like very suboptimal, but uh, you know, she, uh, I think the dad at some point was like, "Yeah." yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it says, "What did he? What was the punchline?" Personality. Personality. <laughs> And that's nice by MGF standards because you could have set their faces. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, all of it. All of it. Uh, but anyway, so that's the usual crack, and it's absolutely tremendous crack. There's another bit of fantasy book in that. Um, someone pointed out on Twitter that I'm going to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. Um, Wardle's got no music. Mm-hmm. And as Gran Akuma, do you follow him on Twitter? No. He's like a former indie wrestler, Chikara guy. Okay. Like, he's really good follow, follow him right now. He's like, he never gets involved in the worst discourse. He is a former wrestler, so he's got great insight mm. into what, like, wrestling strategy and technique, and he's just, like, it's just a really sound guy and a really good, insightful follow. But he's picked up on something. Does the fact that, obviously, it's trying to demean Wardlow, trying to make him feel like not a star, taking away his music. This, of course, doubles as a cue for the fans to chant Wardlow, which makes him more over the whole thing's genius. Are they going to give him licensed music? 
at the end of all this? And is it because he's Wardlow? MGS been calling him a pig, which means something, but we don't know what, right? He's, this is a detail that will yeah. pay off. I think it's bleed like a stuck pig, but they could do more with it. Or they're going to give more pigs by Black Sabbath. Oh, and that would be that's a great theme as well. Yeah, I've never considered how good that would be. It'll take a while. My only concern is that it, there's so much to register, yeah. and there's so many phases of this potential like that. entrance that's not like very that. Tony Khan. No, but you called him literally War Pig. Yeah, that's it. It's advanced from pig to War Pig this week, isn't it? So, oh, I'm I'm in on that now. I'm gonna like it, I was listening to War Pig. By Black Sabbath on my commute in anticipation of this fantasy booking happening. This is what this company does at its best. I remember when we were all getting excited about punk and you wanted A5 for the Omega. And yes. look at how it was integrated eventually. Yeah. So it's like it's not even, it's not even frivolous to have these conversations, is yeah. it? You know? Absolutely. This company at its best is amazing, but um we'll wait. Yeah, this match was great. So <laughs> um there's a running cannonball from Archer before the bell where he takes out both uh Wardlow and the entire fleet of security guards. Wardlow just bounces right back up, hits him with TRS. It's absolutely incredible stuff. It's uh more serious less banter, but just as fun version of mm. the Luchasaurus match um, held during the pandemic, which I was a really major fan of. An under the radar gem, there's so many of them in this promotion. Um, as forearms, they do the the simultaneous clothesline spot where they're both in the back, which establishes the fact that the two total monsters haven't at it. Um, rope walk moonsault um, from Archer, he really hits it as well. Sometimes it doesn't look the best, um, but this one looked great. Um, there's a near fall from the blackout, um, but on the other direction because Wardlow cradles him, which is great. Just more depth to the character. He's not yeah. just this meathead. He's the intelligent monster, and that's why we all love him. Um, headbutts, and then the senton bomb. I thought initially, ooh, you've overshot your trajectory there. No, it's just spectacular and perfect because he nails the back of his head in his abdomen as he should. Because he's just so used to Jeff Hardy having to protect himself I know. His arc's tiny because he needs to look after himself. <laughs> but Wardle's like, oh, you've hit it too far. No, it's just awesome. The, the precision was absolutely great because he got the flight in the arc and the impact. It was just glorious. And then you got the Powerbomb Symphony for the, f- uh, the four Powerbomb Sympathy- Symphony, God damn it, for the win. And everyone struck perfectly. And Lance Archer is massive. And it's just this most impressive thing you've ever got a damn scene. And Wardlow's the absolute man. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't find fault with this. Uh, we talked about how there was maybe, I wouldn't say it was a flaw in Wardlow's game, but it was getting to the point where you had to show that it wasn't a flaw, which is how do you keep the audience if you're selling? Or how do you keep the audience if they feel like they know the story? Which is the result was predictable, but it's like how are we going to actually get there in a way that feels enticing and engaging? Yeah. Right, he's, he's not so much adding stuff to his arsenal, it's just the stuff that we've seen little flashes of, and it's how he's putting it all together, which is either... Because um, Wardlow's been around longer than people think, but he's still got the, especially in AEW can, and the ex- inexperience of a guy that's only kind of just started wrestling. Free from the chains of MJF might as well be day one for this point of his character's lifespan. So it's pretty cool how they can use stuff that he does have in the back pocket. It's a bit like a like a low-key version of Brock saving the shooting star press had he never screwed it up. Obviously, it'd yeah. be the thing that he'd bust out every now and then. And stuff like the Swanson one, we know he's got this in him but it's the hows and whens are so much more important, and it feels like it's that they're getting right. This was better than the Butcher match, as it should have been. There is big pressure, we'll talk about this in a bit, on next week's to do as best as it can to be better than this week, and so on and so on. It's got to feel like Wardlow isn't just trying to fight. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. 
LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. His way out of this situation that MJF put him in, but he's also developing as a guy. Who was it we were talking about yesterday on the NXT 2.0 review? It was Tony D'Angelo. I said, when you turn a guy babyface, um, they've got to have at least one or two cool moves to back up the character that you might suddenly yeah. enjoy. Wardlow's got 10. Yeah. Wardlow's got loads. Of, like the Symphony of Powerbomb stuff was great when he was a heel, and then it was like, well, he holds back the other stuff. Like the Swanton Bomb is the equivalent of, you know, like how you have a big guy fly. Because you need fans to be like wowed by them yeah. as, as a hero as well. They're, they're, they're nailing this. It's so perfect. It's so unbelievably perfect, this Wardlow stuff. Um, I wouldn't describe the next thing as perfect, but it's very good indeed. I think it was a good week for this um, particular program. Um, the Jericho Appreciation Society um, had this sort of like sit down uh, with Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, throughout which the fact that there's, there's a number disadvantage is referenced heavily so it does feel like two more are going to come in we don't know who that is might make for a get uh, get the table at some point but regardless um it's established um that the on-site stuff has been um put on hold kiboshed and this has to be a, a gentlemanly um promo segment the sting for the jas prior to judas thing is great because they are just Adding an extra week to it, yeah, for over several seven weeks. <laughs> Jericho appreciate it's just absolutely great. Then you get Judas, and then you get um, a promo, and they invite out Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Um, and a good development. I thought this was Daniel Garcia's best performance on the microphone yet. Mm-hmm. He seemed really composed, and he, I wanted someone to punch him in the face. And he obviously, 
wanted you to think this because he kept putting his jaw out where it didn't belong, but under these circumstances it could because there was no contact permitted. But I just genuinely, for the first time, and this is why he's in the stable, um, had a bit of character, a bit of dimension mm-hmm. to him, a bit of like, I love watching you wrestle, but I don't necessarily want to see you get your head kicked in. I want to see this brat punk guy. Yeah. He's too handsome for his own good. He was a dickhead. Just get punched in the jaw. Yeah. And I thought he did a really tremendous job here. But the main centerpiece of the angle was Jericho and Kingston. Um, Jericho obviously luxuriating in the idea that Kingston couldn't hit him. So he's calling him a bitch. He was being a complete cock. And then Kingston with this just incredible fire. I don't know how he's so good at this. He's, I said it on the Rampage review, on some level he might just be the best wrestler in the world for his utter convincing portrayal of someone who thinks this is real and you do as a result. Um, it ends when Jericho says... That, uh, sorry, Kingston says that he doesn't care about the sports entertainment crap. Um, Kingston's too dumb to realize that he's in a numbers disadvantage and he's going to put out a hit on Kingston and this really pisses Kingston's off because where he's from, where he's from, a hit really means something and you get this immaculate visual of Kingston who's about the same height as Jericho mm-hmm. feeling like he's much taller than him. Jericho cowers into the chair, leans back, just absolutely piss afraid. Like Chris Jericho's so good at showing ass. Eddie Kingston is so good at making you think that he's going to kill someone and he wants to kill someone and that it means everything to him to kill someone. The best Eddie Kingston um, programs in AEW are rooted in, and this goes right the way back to his debut, a wrestler living like, what is it like, sitting on your biscuit too afraid to risk it type life, and then Eddie Kingston being like, you don't know half of what you're talking yeah. about because it's real to me. Cody, when he came in, he's like, you talk about your grind, Cody. Don't you dare. Yeah. Like you grew up with Arn Anderson come around your house. Do the you, work. And your dad, like, getting you in the front door. Like, I grew up with alcoholics and, like, frightened for my life on a daily basis. This Jericho was uh, the CM Punk one. We're not the same, you and yeah. I, and don't even dare suggest that we are, you know, like the... He's been making really good money for, like, well over a year, and I still believe all this. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, the uh, Jericho is just, like, the latest incarnation of that. You know, the um, for those that, like, our American listeners that don't follow English football, like, pr- probably inarguable at this point, the, the greatest English football manager, Alex Ferguson, when he was bollocking his players at halftime because my United, ne- like, losing was unacceptable under Ferguson. It was known as the hairdryer. Uh, I thought about that when um, Eddie Kingston was right in Jericho's face because Jericho angled himself in such a way. You remember that early uh, Simpsons episode where Bart's getting bullied by Nelson and he's crying, so Homer dries his face with a hairdryer yeah. and they animated <laughs> yeah, Bart's yeah, head yeah. to go diagonally. Jericho somehow angled himself so diagonal as if, I can't go any further back, but he's getting closer and closer and closer. It, like, he finds a meme where there theoretically isn't one. Yeah. Like He's scared for his life, but he's surely developed another like Twitter reaction shot or something. Chris Jericho's sideways face, absolutely hilarious. And completely sort of wrong footage about what was to come later on in the night, which I quite liked as well. Jericho's a stable leader. Um, an underrated, like, we go through, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody as the, the thing that you've highlighted before that, like, too often we forget what Jericho's good at when he's in a pit of guys being quite bad at stuff. As a stable... So former Jericho Appreciation Society. As a, as a stable leader, as he did with the Inner Circle, you mentioned this about uh, Daniel Garcia, and I thought it this week about Cool Hanange, and we've previously... Um, the only one he never has to do with is Hager because I just don't think he'd be arsed. He <laughs> makes the point, doesn't he? Of the just cer- get rid of Hager, just have homicide and then be done with yeah. it. <laughs> it's four on four. There's certain weeks where you can feel like backstage Jericho's like, it's you this week. Go and take your moment. We're going to frame this around you yeah. in a moment. Uh, you could see it when he was doing it with Sammy Guevara or Santana and Ortiz in the circle. He's doing it now. Like, proper value that. 
like value for the guys' careers that years down the line they're going to be like, God, I really appreciated that week when I was handed the microphone or I was given the pointers and it was going to be how I like. And if they get it wrong, they're going to get the bollocking backstage. But it's like, you know, it's maximize your minutes, kid. Stuff happening in front of you. Yeah. It's cool that. It is really cool. Um, up next, we got the Philadelphia street fight between. Uh, before that, we got Sammy Guevara actually. Um, video package hyping up the main event in which he called Scorpio Sky the least interesting member of the AEW roster. Yeah. I like them after this main event, but it's still suboptimal to say things like that yeah. on television. It's a bit meta. I understand that there's a value in doing that kind of storyline, but like, or that kind of storytelling, but don't say the quiet part loud. It's too often with re- things related to Scorpio Sky, it's like what's real and what's fake. So if the tag team title rankings are why Jurassic Express have contenders. And for all that time, why was Scorpio not getting a title shot? Well, the real reason is, is because like too many people don't think he's interesting enough. You can't put that up front, can you? I know. The rankings, this is either the sporting emulation or it's not. Yeah. And they play, they've played too fast and loose with Scorpio Sky before. And I think they just forget it. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Like, like not an innocent mistake, but I do just think they forget sometimes. No, absolutely. Uh, we enter the little period now. And look, I know that some listeners want to have their really nice time watching Dynamite reaffirmed and they get a little bit bummed um, out when we go a little bit low in our appraisal. Just maybe duck out the rest of the podcast, if we're being <laughs> honest. Like, but, you know, stick around because there was something I scarcely believe actually happened during a main event I didn't even like that much. And so it's going to end on a very uh, high note of positivity. But unfortunately, that is not going to watch. Uh, follow next um, because I thought this match was only good mm. and it didn't have heat and I don't blame a dead crowd or well, it's atypical of an AW crowd I said on the preview yesterday this program has not worked from a character perspective because someone got their knee absolutely battered into oblivion to the point where she was storyline injured and she didn't immediately kill Serena Deeb in every single arena, in every single pocket of the backstage area, demanding her vengeance. She simply waited for it. Mm -hmm. And that made me lose faith in the character, in the story. It just didn't really seem as convincing or as immersive as it could have. And at the same time, the macro problem of the women's division continues to be absolutely... I used to be the biggest, give it time, give it time, give it time. The the, the, the scene isn't fertile enough to just get stars. It's going to take a lot of build, the pandemic. There's no excuses anymore. Absolutely none. The mutual apathy between promote, promoter and audience and the, the lack of noise that is yielded from this, it's bleak. I was legitimately depressed watching this match and they did a really good job in certain aspects of trying to get me into it. Um, the ways they played with a chair to get Sheila the advantage, like the way that uh, Dee was laying in those strikes yeah. safely, but it looked horrible at the same time. There was lots to like here, but it was almost impossible to like it because of the ambiance and the vibe and the feeling that we talk about all the time. It's so pivotal. It's really difficult to recap this move for move because so little of it mattered. The crowd just weren't really interesting. There was the mildest possible chance of Holy Sheeta when the action sort of picked up, but it's not an whole. It's not an entire arena like losing their minds, living and dying with a baby yeah. face, or just otherwise dueling chance, just properly engaged with this match. It just felt like, not for the first time, this Philadelphia crowd wanted to get into it, and they can't be blamed for that. You could sense, oh, they're trying, yeah. but it's just not really this amazing thing that they've been conditioned to expect is going to be amazing. So they're absolutely hyped and high on life ahead of it. Um, in the end, and in what I thought was a shock victory, uh, we had some stuff with um, salt in the eyes. Uh, we got some really cool uh, falcon arrows. 
And every now and then, like, Sheeta would just get the chair again. Uh, sorry, D would just get the chair again and cut off Sheeta constantly. It looked like quite a brutal fight. Um, I will say that some of Sheeta's stuff looks soft. And considering she's, like, a weapons-based character almost with the kendo stick and the chair it's a weird choice something like she's hit on miss for me Sheeta, and i think she missed mostly tonight but ultimately um following all of that work on the knee um deeb and this was a magical positioning of the chair it didn't just arrive out of nowhere it was put there previously to do something else but it just happened to be in the ring and deeb went well i'll just drive your knee straight into it cloverly following the serenity lock and deeb wins which is the best result because it's the best match, but I think less of Sheeta coming out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, you've covered it. Uh, like, every women's match is a women's wrestling in AEW problem more than it is a problem with the match. Good, bad, or indifferent at this point. And the good ones are always the rule-proving exceptions at this stage in terms of the, the heat in the building. And, like, I was thinking, like, weapons, traditionally, or shortcuts, they exist to be shortcuts. They exist because it's like you don't just have to have your standard wrestling match. We're going to let you have some cheat codes. Yeah. Have this chair because it makes a big noise. Have this powder because it's a big visual. Things like fire. It's just like air. gasps and noises from the crowd. And I was thinking while this was taking place that if you took two male mid-carders and put them in the exact same match, the fans would make more noise for, yeah. the, for the noise-making shortcuts because that's how they've been conditioned. And again, that's that's why it remains like almost irrelevant what stipulation got slapped on this, which is a shame because once upon a time it was a few that required a street fight. It doesn't now because it was just dropped cold for weeks and weeks on end. Um, and again, very little is at fault of the, the wrestlers in this case. The kendo stick, I felt, was like uh, the fact that that's like an overused weapon, but then the powder isn't, so that you were having like the same problem. Yeah. You know, uh, Deep towards the finish was fantastic. I love in any plunder match, AW's fallen afoul of this a lot for me lately, but in any plunder match where you are watching that character in a plunder match rather than the character using plunder. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. You, you kind of highlighted it there with the chair. Serena Deeb is this like thinking woman's like technical killer. But as a result, she just applies a chair to her same strategy. It's like, yeah. oh, cool. I've got this or I've got the, you know, I can, I like to cheat in my matches, but I can cheat with weapons and it's not cheating. And the, the finish, the way that she used the chair and the way they build up that finish and, like, her her ramped-up viciousness is awesome when she's, like, in a normal rules match. Great face. Oh, just fantastic. I believe she is pissed off and angry when she's, like, breaking somebody down. And, like, she applied all that good stuff that I really like about her. And, indeed, I think what I really like about Thunder Rosa, am I right in thinking that it was, like, an NWA title ripper them two had in the pandemic? Thunder Rosa yeah. and Serena Deeb on a, on a kickoff to a pay-per-view, maybe? I mean, it certainly sounds right, doesn't it? But, like, the... Dynamite. It might have been a dynamite, but I, I'm sure I remember seeing it like under the AW banner, but for the NWA title, yeah. Demon Rosa had a, a blinder. So I've got a lot of faith in the quality of that match. Um, but it's always with the caveat. Always with the caveat. And maybe not, maybe that'll be the quiet match on the night. Who knows? But strictly from a pairing point of view, I think it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that, but at the same time, I'm not because I'm, yeah. I'll always be a little bit. Will, they, will they give you an angle? Will they give you an angle? Um, will it follow the. 25-minute Young Bucks classic, mm. you know, like, what is going to happen? And you know it's something along those lines. Um, we get the segment backstage with MGF and Sean Spears. Um, takes a piss out of Alex Marvez in absolutely brutal fashion. It's fantastic. And he says he's got a plan for Wardlow, uh, despite him beating um, Lance Archer earlier in the night. He calls someone. We don't know who this person is. It's that we do because MGF gives us a hint. Six figures, one match. The man is smarter, stronger, and taller than uh, Wardlow. And you can't teach that so it's w morrissey big cast and um, if you want to know our thoughts on that watch the news yeah it's a very rare dadly boys joint on the news uh today 
Uh, so go and watch that. Basically, we think we did an all right job. <laughs> Maybe even an incremental improvement on the last time, but we like to talk fast because we're very nervous. Yeah. But, you know, check it out. Support the boys. Uh, support the boys. We get at an angle next. I can't believe how much I didn't hate this as much as I thought it, I, I would because it kind of explains certain bits and promises to get rid of bits that I hate. Mm. Um, the lights go out. We see Fuegadal Sol um, on the stage. He's been battered. Um, the House of Black emerge, and they tease unmasking him. But then, <laughs> the visual of this, I will not miss. Except a laugh, because it's quite <laughs> funny. We see a hooded Alex <laughs> Abrahentes in yeah. the ring, okay? And I just think, oh, fuck. No. <laughs> I hate this guy in this character so much. And uh, he says, all along, they've been baiting the House of Black into a fight. He basically said, do you think I've looked like a dickhead this past three or four <laughs> weeks for no reason? And I'm thinking, oh, well, he still looked like a dickhead. Yeah. In those four weeks where you looked like a dickhead, I still thought you looked like a dickhead and it ruined everything that you were part of. But all, apparently he's been doing this to set up this ruse because it's revealed to be Ray Phoenix under the Alex Abrahantas outfit this week as revealed when Pac comes out to follow Penta and then Pac is followed by the real Abrahantas and then Phoenix Kicks ass, does this wonderful sequence with Buddy uh, Matthews. It all looks really cool. We are finally getting the trios match, and then I'd like to see something else uh, beyond it. There was some stuff here with like the mirroring of the emer- emerging from the shadows. Yeah. It's good law. I don't like law. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they've told yeah. a long term story with the various backstage vignettes where they've been emerging from the shadows, and then literally one of them emerges from behind mm. to get them at their own game. This is a really. Go back and watch all of the segments. This is quite clever about goofy stuff that I don't really like. Yeah, that's a that's a fair appraisal. It's a, this was, I mean, like, let's call it what it was. This was a retcon of Alex Abrahantes and to a lesser extent Penta Oscuro, wasn't it? Like they they've heard either way. Yeah, it's, it's gone. That's the main yeah. thing. But they've heard or they've seen or whatever, and they've scaled that all the way back, which is no bad thing. And a, and a nice reveal of Phoenix. I'm I'm not as high. Well, high, you weren't high. I don't want to put words in your. I'm not as. It just made sense. Compliment, yeah. But seriously, I can't understand a goddamn thing Malachi Black says. <laughs> I know, right there. And all the stuff with the shadows and coming out and stepping back, it all ties together. I got it. it yeah. I, it's relief, I think. Maybe that's it. The, the kind of the boy band house of black, all right, with the spotlights and the walking at the same time suit with the fuego. That it's the, the guys in God's hate. <laughs> You've pissed off about 11, 12, 14 people massively with that statement. I'll, 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 He's in God's hate. I'll, t- I'll take those on the chin. Um, God's hate. Rule. I'll, I'll, I'll take one in the heavily made up eye for that reference yes. then. Uh, the aesthetic still doesn't really work for me. I I do, however, share, and it, like for nice reasons as well as nasty ones, I share your sentiment, I'm ready for the end of this because I think where the House of Black or the Death Triangle will, all their theatrics will figure best in is when you see the contrast and we've had the contrast earlier in the night of Blackpool Combat Club. And we've talked about the other trios. But because these two are all together, it's a bit like Spooky Island, isn't it? Yes. Take them all spooky away. Spooky verse. Spooky verse, yeah. Take them away and put them somewhere else. And then maybe like it's all, like the contrast is almost better than like Undertaker versus somebody versus Undertaker versus Kane. Yeah. You know? So uh, th- yeah, get Kane involved. Get, get done with it. Politics, wrestling, character <laughs> work. Yeah. Anything. He's better than Isaac Yankum. At least then he was working with Bret Hart. Yeah, that's true. You got better Bret matches. Phoenix was on it. I, I, I popped for Phoenix. Return. I was like, yes, he's the one I want the most out yeah. of all of this. So yes, like I, f- I felt good about that. 
I hope this doesn't make it. I don't think it deserves double or nothing, so I hope they wrap it up before then. The best, the best version of this match is incredible. It is very good, yeah. But I, I agree the storyline is probably not there. Um, but we'll see. The, one of the reasons why I wanted to go to double or nothing is because I think they can just do New Japan booking. Very, like, New Japan booking in reverse, um, just singles matches to build to it. Pa- I want Pac versus Buddy Matthews yesterday. Their exchanges, the Revolution buy-in were unbelievable. You couldn't save it for the next pay-per-view after that because Malachi Black would be in a room and then he opens the forbidden door because there's somebody in oh, yes. Paul Heyman's got the pencil. Oh, <laughs> God, that was the worst. It was the worst stuff of all time, right? It was right up there. It was so bad. It was so bad. Uh, we get a backstage um, segment touching on the history between Darby Allen and Swerve Strickland, who um, both sort of matured on the um, Pacific Northwest indie scene. And um, that's going to be an own heart qualifier on Rampage this week. Heard no noises about this match, which probably means it was a total banger. <laughs> um, because we get a bit opposite Landy at the minute with um, the Rampage spoilers. Moxie have been the rule-proving exception, of course. They said they've got a bit of history and a mutual respect, but they're not quite friends. Which, again... Putting these little basic segments in. I didn't know that. Tells you the story of the match. Yeah. They are probably going to have a competitive, friendly match. The two baby faces. We can probably expect some counters to happen. Who's going to land the first glove in a dickheaded way? It's probably going to sell the story of the match. I did not know of any link between these two. And this, I know that this needs to become the rule rather than the exception. The I was so grateful for it. Yeah. It was an illusion, which is fine. It's not exposition. There's a yeah. difference, but no, no, they're mates. Uh, so, and again, it, it tells you more about the story I of the match. Care more than I would have done than just a graphic. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And the next bit, I hated. I, I genuinely thought it was terrible. And it's not just terrible in and of itself. It's the undisputed elite: Cole, the Bucks, Red Dragon versus Dante Martin, Lee Johnson, Brock Anderson, the Varsity Blondes. Kyle O'Reilly debuted in December 2021. Mm-hmm. It is now nearly May 2022. Throughout virtually this entire time, they've been apprehensive about one another. Or is Adam Cole really... Adam Cole's our friend. Are his friends our friends? Mm. Are they planning to, in Kenny's absence, as the undisputed era with a different non-trademark named, going to take our spot as the, the best trios? Are they sort of... Um, is the implication that they are going to sort of soften us up ahead of battering us at some point? Yeah. Are they our friends or our foes? That's basically the succinct um, Cliff's notes of this sort of storyline that's been going on for goddamn forever and I've had precious little interest in. So all of this has been established, and here's the thing. I have been watching it for five months. I can't... I'd like those five months back. Yeah. 37 in September, you know? <laughs> you, think, you start to think about these things. 37 is like a horrible number. I know you're 37, 37 right now. in two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, it. i got like two days left to stay. So 36 is fine. That's all I'm thinking about. You could play defensive mid in the Prem or maybe the Championship at 36. 37, you know, you're not even in the Championship anymore. You are old. Yeah. It's Happy birthday. Thanks very much, yeah. So those five months... behind me. Those five months, as a lot as they count. The five months count, okay? Mm-hmm. So I've been watching it for five months. So what's really doing my head in at this point is that five months have gone by and the storytelling is basically, I'm looking at you funny, you're looking at me funny, are we friends, are we foes? A lot of investment has been put into this. And then what happens is that Adam Cole loses his big championship program with Hangman Adam Page. The Bucks and Rad Dragon together in a three-way match and then a dynamite match lose to Jurassic Express. This is compounded in the book's mind by um, losing to FTR on Dynamite not too long ago. So they had this segment backstage last week where they're saying, look, 
we can be a force together if we just start winning. Together, not apart, but together, we can start winning, right? And then, oh my God, they issued this open challenge last week, which is a key detail in my complaint here. They are not overcompensating and pretending that they're harder or better than they are by picking on five geeks, who realistically these are. And I hate to put uh, Dante Martin among these numbers, but he is now a geek, look who he's associating with. So it's not as if they've picked on five geeks to make themselves feel big and hard. They've balls out, cock out, issued an open challenge. Anyone could conceivably have taken it. So it's not character work. They've just beaten some geeks. They do beat some geeks in an incredibly mid-match, possibly the worst Young Bucks match I have seen in... Since TNA. Definitively knackered the formula. Yeah. Which oh, that think? rule's broken. That rule's broken. Yeah. So what happens is there's some stuff. Nick Jackson does the thing that Nick Jackson does in every match, and it's cool, but it's usually tacked onto a great match that this wasn't. Kyle O'Reilly strikes, uh, still don't look great, and then in the end, the the, the undisputed elite win. In the post match, in the post match, Adam Cole gets two undisputed elite T-shirts and passes them to Matt and Nick Jackson, and they put them on. This is meant to herald the formation of the biggest faction supergroup in the faction company, All Elite Wrestling. They've lost and lost and lost and lost and lost. This is honestly the most risible, get your heat back match of all time. This is meant to be this huge moment, the final formation, which to reiterate, I've spent five months watching. <laughs> the supergroup has been formed, the Undisputed Elite. What does Kenny Omega think about? That's the only thing I care about at this point. Yeah. One more thing. Cast your mind back to October 2, 2019. I know the goldfishers who don't listen to this podcast might not do this. <laughs> I trust everyone who listens to this to get the gravity of what I'm about to say. Cast your mind back to October 2nd, 2019. It's a day that everyone knows. It's the launch of head-to-head Wednesday Night Wars. You are told by a time traveler from the future that <laughs> on the 27th of April, yes, 27th of April, 2022. <laughs> Time travel from the future. <laughs> whose laptop went onto the screen. <laughs> You're told on the 27th of April, 2022. Do you know what happens on the, at the end of all this? It's a really funny story, right? There's lots, but here's a key detail. The Undisputed Era and the Elite join forces and become a supergroup in AEW. Yeah. After NXT all but dies, you'd think, Jesus Christ, mm. this has got to be the biggest thing in the world ever. Think about the supergroup. Oh, no, how did it happen? Oh, there'd be Brock Anderson in a 10 round tag. <laughs> yeah. It's not the best origin story, is it? No, when you put it like that. So I was going to say if there was one thing worse than your, like, frustrations, and they're not impotent ones. You very literally wrote the book, and you're uh, like, I think it would be fair to call you the... There are levels between you, me, and Andy Murray about our patience for elite melodrama. Yes. And I'm absolutely slap bang in the middle of the pair of you. He loses patience before it's even started because it's just not his wrestling. I've lost patience once before this. You are like, you it's are. It's when Matt Jackson was going a little bit too. Like, <laughs> oh, God, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> then the but next like, week, you have chandeliers on his head and it was yeah, great. <laughs> that's it. Like, and that's why you're faithful to the law because you're always rewarded in the end with these wrestlers. And I dare say matches will come and there will be like moments that just completely make this. Like I um I was mega high on the Staple of Marshmallow Man reveal with the Ghostbusters. That was awesome. Like they pull stuff in ways that you just would never imagine they would do. 
Well, this feels like the like the biggest wrong turn they've made in a while. And it's not just this, as you say, it's not just a one-night thing, which is a bit eh, and the time traveller analogy is spot on. Because it's... This five months have had one like great three-way match. Imagine, like, oh, my God, I want to see how he got there. No, you don't, because like, that wasn't very good either. And that's what's probably more troubling. I'm not as frustrated with this as you are, but it's possibly worse. I'm kind of apathetic to it. I'm this apathetic, and I really don't want to be. It pains yeah. me to be apathetic about this. Super unremarkable moment after an even more unremarkable match. I got just, I, like, I had nothing to say about any of this. And, like, that's WWE, like, WWE review stuff, isn't it? I have nothing to say about the match. Nothing. Yeah. I have very little to say about the supposed development at the end. I think it'll be fine. Like, I, I think it'll probably turn out fine. You, uh, Omega, it's Ghost at the Feast stuff, isn't it? You, you're supposed to be thinking, what would Kenny be thinking about this? They, they want you to be thinking about that, you know? But, eh, I don't know. I, don't, I think the lack of quality in the matches is probably... We've said it a few times on this podcast now. You're encouraged to speculate on a million different things that might lead to nothing. They might be red herrings, but it's just fun. That's the fun of all of this, often more so than the matches. I'm not yet thinking about who these men might face. Mm. I'm not bothered about what they're going to do at double or nothing. I'm yeah. not like, you know for a fact the books will get a match, but like in terms of an angle, I'm, just, I'm not. Uh, like if we say now, right, Blackpool Combat Club aren't doing anything. They're both groups. Put them together. Like, cool. The matches will, of course, rule, but... Yeah, it's not like you need to be like given a reason to care about that right now, wouldn't you? Whereas typically, if you just separate that and you say like three months ago before you were joined, give me Young Bucks versus Moxley and Danielson. Yeah, that needs nothing, does it? Yeah, but like you've got one stable that is super hot and super cool all of a sudden, and this other group that are just you're just not fussed about. No, um, this is maybe a bit weird because I've just gone through my notes now to keep the podcast ticking along. Um, I was reminded that the Jericho Appreciation Society blew a. <laughs> Fireball in Eddie Kingston's face. This is my absolute rare but firm agreement with certain critics and podcasters and whatever. Like, this is where I get Jim Cornette. If you're going to do a fireball angle, I want ambulances. Mm -hmm. I know we've got a little bit of it. I want updates throughout the night on Eddie Kingston, my hero's condition. He's had his face potentially horrifically burned, it's a fireball. And then it cuts to the commentary team, they're like, well, <laughs> sucks for him. Here's a rampage next week. <laughs> no, man. You've got to sell this. You, you don't, why do it? This should be a major, it's the first time I've seen a fireball in AEW. Mm -hmm. This should be a major, major, major deal. Like Tony Schiavone tried very hard, and I appreciate him trying to drag it over the line of like, he never, he only ever does it with Cole and MGF. He's very professional. This is what you should be as a broadcaster in the wrestling universe. Our WWE Galaxy was incredible, by the way, but yeah, yeah. this universe thing triggered that thought. Tony Schiavone was like, that Chris Jericho. I don't think he's ever said that, even when mm. he's a heel, because he's impartial. That wasn't enough for me to have this not sold. No. I, so yesterday I was asking for, we thought it was going to be to do with the strap, and they've obviously yeah. probably just dropped that now, but like, I wanted heat. I wanted... Proud and powerful to be beaten down, Kingston to be left. And I got all of it, and I got it very literally. And it was like a fireball was great. And, like, you know what else didn't really work for me about this? Because, you know, you're making the point about if it kind of happens as, a like, a backstage thing, and then it's gone again. Backstage stuff is trivialised all the time in AEW yeah. anyway. So I think it might have, like, benefited from being in the ring. Like, but I appreciate why 
after what you've seen in the ring, Jericho needs to do it backstage. There was a rule in place that they can't touch in the ring and all ah, that like, so like Just just wait a week then. And, and like fear as well. Like I've got to wait till his mates are down and I want to break the terms of the gentleman's agreement and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So like I do understand why they had it, but yeah, wait a week because what happens when there's an interview taking place? Somebody else bundles in and takes over the conversation. What happens when Eddie Kingston gets a fireball in place? Split seconds later, was it Moxley? Ruby Soho was there and a group of other people were there like medics chase them off and off they go. Like, hammer man. Like, as you say, bird's eye view, look up. Mm-hmm. You're just there. I know. Just, just if, if the beatdown's already started, he shouldn't have time to get a fireball out of his pocket, should he? I know. It just, it was, ironically, a bit too sports entertainment-y for me, and for its own good. Yeah. Um, just so rushed as well. What are they What are they looking for? Like, again, I was asking for heat for blood and guts, if that's what it's going to be, but everything up to this point has been, like, stadium stampede style comedy. I, I can't quite get the tone of all this. Yeah, it's just, uh, again, I was watching... The other week, the other month, whatever. The the classic Ric Flair, Ted DiBiase, pressure, bandage, Mid-South match. Yeah. And the gravity of blood loss mm-hmm. and that entire perfection episode of wrestling television. It's like, it's scary. The prospect of Ted DiBiase bleeding is scary, alarming, like morally unconscionable. Like, don't watch kids, don't watch. You got none of that whatsoever with this fireball angle. Philadelphia. ECW this week, um, Sandman getting the tablet in the eye of Tommy Dreamer, and Dreamer wanting to retire because he couldn't live with the regret of blinding yeah. Sandman until Sandman revealed the ruse. I'm not like, expecting Kingston to spend a month walking around New York selling it or staying in his apartment, but do something more. Yeah, like that would have been, like, there's no way you're cutting back to Joey Styles being like, oh my God, I can't believe what we've just seen here. Anyway, next, it's uh, JT Smith. He's in action. <laughs> 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 and God TV. <laughs> I don't know why he's from. Oh, God TV, I'm Joey Styles. <laughs> We have a London hardcore wrestling in the old ECW arena. It's a bingo hall. <laughs> in a big smoke. Main <laughs> 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 event time next. Yeah. And uh, oh my God, there are elements of this match that I just thought were great. <laughs> Very few of them, but my favorite bit, right? Did people, did the entire arena fall in love with Scorpio Sky Babyface? Because Sammy Guevara does that eh thing. And even when he was like at the peak of his powers as a babyface, mm. or even as a heel, it was like, See, it was good as a baby face. It was like, I'm good. Co- <laughs> I'm crazy. I'm mad me, you know. Problem is, I'm sometimes too daft. I'm sometimes too daft. Oh, bloody mad me. The band around here. <laughs> the zany god. Zany, the zany god. So, like, instantly, Scorpio Sky goes, this is, like, deep into the match. I'm all over the place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was the best thing ever. But there's one really cool spot where you think, Ah, you're an idiot, Scorpio Sky, because you're holding the ladder in front of your face and you are going to wait for it to be kicked into it. Mm. Lifts it up, pulls it back on Sammy Guevara's face. Smart baby face work. There were elements of this that were genuinely, like, stupidly exciting, like the ladder bump into the barbed wire ladder just looked great. It looked like death. And the Spanish fly looked great because for once it looked like it really hurt the guy taking it more than the guy delivering it because it got out of the way of the, uh, the barbed wire. Um, the, the the subversion of the cutter spot was just magnificent. That was nice. Yeah, everything else was kind of a mess with loads of add-ons with the Page Van Zant, Tay Conti. Um, I quite like the like on their backs to stop them rather than it becoming like a woman's chicken fight where they've got to re- they're on their partner's shoulders and they've got to reach up. I like they were trying to pull them down. Yeah, like that. I, I like that as a nice touch from where we've seen it before, where you've got partners in there. Yeah, this is very rushed. Elements yeah. of it were great. Rushed, like again, stuff wasn't sold quite enough for me. Mm. It didn't have like that Cody Sammy Guevara ladder match. I thought was exceptional. It's even better now when this is yeah. the standard elsewhere. Uh, the big story of the match is Sammy Guevara nearly goddamn kills himself. He 
honestly, he came so close to snapping his neck into. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, it's I don't know. He can do a splash. I think he's done a 630 off a centaur. It's just that sideways twisting one. I'm not safety police. I'm going to tell a guy how to, to do the And then with and eat as much as you do off that particular put in. Just, oh, man. That, um, that's take you out of the match spot yeah. stuff, isn't it? Right. Absolutely terrifying. Um, there's a great bit deeper into the match, however, where um, it looks like, oh, Sammy's going to win. And Scorpio Sky takes this bump, and it's like, it's a big one, but that's not enough to win the match. And then the, ma- the, the actual magic somehow of this match is, I want Scorpio Sky. That's not enough to put him away. I want yeah. him to climb that ladder, and he did it, and he's killed Sammy Guevara, and he wins the title. And Scorpio Sky is over as a baby face. Mm-hmm. Scorpio Sky is over full stop, which I did not expect to happen. I was genuinely so annoyed by some aspects of the second hour of Dynamite that I thought when I was watching this match be a very artless stun show, entertaining in places, I was just like, I, I'm really just not enjoying myself here. And I thought, this company can still get Scorpio Sky over after the last year of his career. Fair goddamn play. I just, I thought all around, I've maybe been harsh on Scorpio Sky in how successful this is. Again, like another cheap plug for the news, we talk about how much of this will we really play next week and the week after now that Scorpio's got the bait versus how it did tonight because they read, they read a lot of rooms, but they read this specific room and how much this specific room would want Sammy to lose. Yeah. There was huge thirst for him to lose to the point where they had to have read it because that there was a proper... Freddy Krueger, he just will not die feeling about the finish. Yeah. You know, the amount of times he kept coming back, it's like, they're just not going to give us this. And I thought, you don't do that without knowing exactly who this o- this audience is going to want from the off. Yeah. Those things are going to have been put in place. You're not going to set up an extra tease, are you? So I thought that was a good read on their part. I like, I'm with you. Uh, I like seeing Scorpio Sky get that reaction and feeling more from personally than I ever have done. I just didn't like the match. Didn't like artless, it. Wasn't it. Yeah, massively artless. Um, we talked yesterday, you mentioned about how it, it's less than ideal optics that they're already going back to a ladder match after a, what was destined to be a way more famous one and like in such a short space of time. But this is why we don't like repeated ladder matches is because that's been the problem. There's been too many of them, so you become desensitised to all of it. Too spotty. Like the cutter call, like the cutter callback thing was really, really nice, but it belonged in a different match. Like that was the kind of thing that you put in at this like, in this like epic final third and I didn't really feel it in the... I, I liked it more as a... It was a proper, quintessential side-by-side Twitter gif of, yeah. a, of a moment, more than like how much you felt it while you were watching it. And I just like... Spotty, artless, hard-hitting. Obviously, we always kind of feel like we have to put this disclaimer, and you can't discount like what they're doing to their bodies for it. But I just... Because of that, I want to feel more for it. Climb more. Climb, yeah, climb, yeah. Try and win more. Climb more. Like I always go back to that ladder match. We were both in Madison Square Garden for that Ring of Honor one. Like, nobody was climbing. And, uh, <laughs> and I just, I got too much of that in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, a very, very, very uneven show. But the thing with AEW is that when it's uneven, the peaks are absolutely incredible and the lows are not really that bad. Um, but, you know, Brock Anderson is not the origin story for the <laughs> biggest faction in the history of the Wednesday Night Wars, which, you know, they should matter. They should be sold. The victory should be sold. They should be monumental. And so little of it isn't, including fireballs. Have we been too harsh? I suspect the answer is going to be yes, and I might not be interested in hearing it because I've heard about it all freaking morning. <laughs> if you think that's the case, put your comments underneath the Twitter link to this podcast <laughs> at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Uh, I don't think we've got anything else for you today, to be perfectly yeah, honest. Perfect. There's a, a business trip happening down in London. And... Uh, yeah, 
We've got some. Boys might do something, but I don't want to make that promise on their behalf either. So if that's it for us today, we'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, we will be back tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow with the usual array of Rampage, uh, SmackDown previews, and that wrestle culture thing that they're still (laughs) still holding on to. And uh, so listen to that if you want. And until then, thanks for joining us. We do appreciate it, whether we are a bit miserable or more miserable than you are not. And we'll see you soon. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right <laughs> Hold now. it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.